Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Jokum. Matt is here. We have tons of Road America to talk about. I don't I don't know if really there's anything else to talk about this week in IndyCar other than Road America. There's not too much news going on since there is no race this weekend. Matt, where where on earth do we want to start with this one? Well, I feel like I feel like I gotta make a thing now to to start with not racing. Okay. Well, obviously, Road America happened. That was great. Yes. I'm still not over your travel habits. Yeah. So, first of all, did you get through your trip without flaws? Uh, yes. It was actually one of the... I don't typically fly American Air, not that anybody really cares, and I did. And it was one of the smoothest trips from door to returning home on Monday that I've ever had. I don't know if that makes you sad or disappointed. It's infuriating. But, yeah. For someone who plans as hastily as you, mm-hmm. the fact that it goes through without a hitch annoys people like me who pre-plan. I, listen, I, I know in advance what weekends I'm going to be away, and then everything else just falls into place at the right time. And I was just trying to get a read on the room with like Jill and Thomas and Jay and see where they they kind of fell on yeah. that too. And <laughs> I was like, hey, so so Mike was telling you on the podcast that he, you know, doesn't have his Airbnb booked like one week in advance. Yeah. And then you know, kind of like Dejuski just fell in your lap, so you got lucky there. But yeah, <laughs> like he doesn't have any of this pre-planned or nothing, and all of a sudden he's just like here and has his hotel and all that crap. And how many races you got left for the rest of the year? Like eight. Uh, yeah, somewhere around there. Seven. And. So shout out! I do want to give a shout out to Kevin Dejewski who writes for Motorsport Week and wrote a great article on Sebastian Bourdais during the tr- Detroit weekend and the heat struggles. Who I was talking to, I think when you were make um, probably about two weeks ago, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I got I got an extra bed in my hotel room, and I'll pick you up from the airport." So we split the hotel room. I didn't have to worry about a rental car or an Airbnb, and. I got to hang out with with Kevin all weekend and and learn how meticulous he is with his writings. So, uh, and to make it to make you happy, Matt, I already have my hotel booked for Mid Ohio in two weeks and Nashville in a month. Well, I think Road America is a little different just because it is quite literally in the middle of nowhere. Yes. So the fact that you were like a week away and like, oh yeah, don't don't know where I'm going, and I asked you to pack the GoPro. What? Thursday? Wednesday? You asked me to pack the GoPro within 24 hours of when I needed to leave. And what did you reply with? I haven't even started packing anything yet. Can can people at home, just so I'm not crazy, can you please let me know that that's not normal? And if it is, I really probably need to reconsider everything in my life. That you don't pack 24 hours before you go. That's just not a, you. You're probably like 12 hours before you went. 
Yeah, I packed around midnight that oh, night. So, God. And actually, I didn't finish packing until after. So probably an hour before I left, I finished up like my uh, some odds and ends, toiletry bag, and and that sort of thing. So, yeah, all of my clothes were folded and in my suitcase the night before, but I did not zip my suitcase up until about probably 35, 40 minutes before I had, uh, before I left for the airport. It's nice to know that you fold your clothes. Yes. I'm actually pretty good at it, but I don't Not think anybody cares. To, uh, <laughs> I don't just <laughs> shove it in my suitcase and go, I hope it gets there okay. But anyways, the rest of that still, I don't know what the scientific term for like your heart convulsing, but that is what I just did for the last heart, five minutes. Heart palpitations? Something like that. Yeah. But like literally like bile is coming out of my heart <laughs> as you as you give that whole story. Anyways, it's okay for my heart to do that because we just had an absolutely epic weekend at Road America. If I could give a personal shout out to Jill Thomas and Jay and Rob and Hallie and Day and Christian and Christian Denevsky. So I got to meet two Christians this weekend. It was really dope. And Christian's friend Jake and the lightings and Trav Burt and his new fiance, Maddie. I feel like I'm just giving everybody a shout out. They got engaged like three weeks ago, so that was cool. We got to celebrate with them. Uh, we got to see DJ Jordan and his wife. It was so awesome to just run into so many great people there. And You know what's funny about shouting out to everybody is there's still like 15 more people that I saw that I would love to give a shout out to that I probably would forget half of them. But Kevin Dejewski at one point turned around and said, you know a lot of people. And I was like, I don't really feel like I do, but I have literally, I think everybody who likes IndyCar with the exception of like a handful of our, our listeners was at Road America this weekend. It really felt that way. Yeah, it was good to see that. Obviously, my parents were there. Happy Father's Day. Got to, uh, I got my dad the John Oriovich book, The Split. Yes, I got my dad a Father's Day gift at the track this weekend so I can see him this coming weekend. Yeah, and I don't believe Sammy got her dad a Father's Day gift. Oh, Sammy. I kind of, yikes. I'm sure he'll, she'll just get him some spotted cow this weekend. <laughs> We're going back to Wisconsin this weekend. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, and so that was really cool to see my parents on Father's Day. That was awesome, and got to meet David's dad. Just, yeah, I yeah, saw your parents for like 47 seconds, but I was running to interview Scott McLaughlin, so I kind of like waved and kept running, and... Then I sent your mom a message, hey, I want to say hi, and they were already, like, pretty much home and, like, out of the track on Sunday. So, my bad. I There was apparently a couple other people who said they saw me, but I was running or hurrying somewhere, which is always the case with me at a racetrack, so... Yeah, if I saw you from afar, I wouldn't come up and say hi to you either. Oh, that's <laughs> so hurtful. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I know. I, you have I to play along like with a girl it. Girl from like a mile away, and I enjoyed every second of it. <laughs> Anyways, so yes, obviously. So as I maintain, Road America is not only a brilliant track, but it is a medium for you to go hang out with your friends while there is a race sprinkled in the middle. And this weekend there was four series easies there, other than IndyCar. That made for some fun viewing. So it was kind of like nonstop racing from Thursday till whenever the IndyCar race ended on Sunday. Uh, but obviously, it's to me, it's also great to hang out 
the fans and some friends and do some driver interaction stuff in the between. So, so many memories, but let's get to it. Alex Polo, your race winner and now championship leader by 29 points as he got a good leg up on uh, Pato Award this weekend. Heard a second power third, Dixon fourth, Grosjean fifth. So nothing to take away from Polo. He was on New Garden's gearbox all day and was keeping him honest for sure. I think there was one stint there where New Garden had about an eight or ten second lead. But uh, outside of that, Polo was really on Newgarden all day. And with Ed Jones's suspension failure a couple laps ago, there was a restart. And on the restart that we saw two laps to go once they crossed the line, Newgarden was stuck in fifth gear and then subsequently dropped like a rock. So he led 32 laps. But I feel like that's a little unfair to how dominant he actually was because some of the laps led were from drivers who were completely off strategy, like Chilton, Magnuson, uh, Sato. So really, he was the figurative leader pretty much the entire day up yeah. until his failure. So obviously, congrats to Polo, but it's hard not to just be... There was a lot of New Garden fans that I was in around. They were all pretty devastated. Yeah, how and can rightfully, you... Rightfully so. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's it's funny. So when I am at a racetrack, my dad will text me everything that the TV crew is saying if I happen to not be in the media center, which is which is very helpful. And he was saying early on how Newgarden had complained about some gearbox issues, and I hadn't caught that on the radio. And then they said, oh, the TV said he's fine now, and two laps to go. Oh, no. And it was... It it happened so quick. I was typing out a tweet that Polo was passing Newgarden, and then I I couldn't even figure out like the words to type because every time you would you would look like six more more cars were passing him, and actually Newgarden's final lap where he you know, coasted home in second gear or first gear was slower than the pace lap he had ran a couple laps before that. So you just had. It's not often I say somebody deserves a win, but New Garden three races in a row has really just had some bad luck. Yeah, it's it's a head scratcher for sure, and feel bad for him because yeah, it's a it's significant championship hit too because he basically lost thirty seven points with that issue, probably more. So yeah, that's that's unfortunate, really. Uh, but again, congrats to Polo. It was really nice to talk to him. It's the first time a driver's ever told me he's had trust issues with me. That, that was I mean, I don't, funny. I don't blame him. It's no, like, I don't blame him either. Yeah. I, I, I wish more drivers said that to me. Yeah. It's like Max my Chilton, issue with... I, Max yeah. Shields never met me. I, I hope he comes up to me one day and he's just like, you know what? You seem like a real asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and I would just like, you know, you're not wrong, sir. I guess, you know, we don't talk about Max Chilton in a positive light very often in this podcast, but I do have to give him a shout out. That last stint he had before his final pit stop was brilliant. He uh, stayed out long, and then when he came out of the pits, I believe he came out in front of, like, Rossi and Hunter Ray and them, or thereabouts. Roughly, yeah. And, and that's, like, you know, we give him some crap, but, man, that was a good stint. I mean, he made that work perfectly, and the Carlin team gave him a great stop, and 
what was it, their first top 10 since, or children's first top 10 since forever ago, like mid Ohio 17 or something. Watkins, Watkins Glen 2017. Oh, God, so long ago. 46 um, races. But yeah, that was very impressive. Erickson's recovery to P6 was very impressive. Grosjean was the most exciting driver to watch all day by far. He was sending it into turn five in a non-homicidal kind of way. Like he, it was always controlled, calculated within the rules of the books, never like reckless or Sato-ish. So it was really cool. And that was really fun. Any other drivers you'd like to, to highlight at this particular time? Oh, well, sorry. I kind of saw Jack Harvey's name and felt yeah. the need to rant for a second. Jack Harvey and Connor's daily strategy was absolutely infuriating. It was it was hogwash. Yes. Was it bacon or hogwash? It was like hogwash to the nth degree. Yeah. Uh, because the fuel window, I think, is like 16 laps at most. If you're stretching it, yeah. And it's not like Gateway or Iowa where it's like, hey, we need you to go... 51 laps on the stint instead of 48 because that's the equivalent like three laps at Iowa is uh, what like two miles not even a minute total or around a minute total and you're talking like so if the fuel window is 16 laps and they're trying to ask Jack Harvey to go 19 laps on a track that is four miles long. So you want him to go 12 additional miles on a tank of gas? There's just no way. I just, and and not only that, but they were doing it. So when he pitted, he was like a theoretical sixth or seventh. It's not like he was 18th and it's like, well, what do we got to lose? Like they threw away an easy top 10 for sure. Like he was going to finish right with, you know, probably Rossi, Erickson, Grosjean. At at worst, he was in the Pado Chilton Ray Hall range. Yeah, let's say he has a bad bad stop at some point. I just I truly don't understand this. I I understand fuel saving at Road America to a point, but when you're stretching out a stint like that, I just don't understand what you expect to happen. No, like at at, at that point, at the last caution, top off some fuel and at least try to make up a couple spots. Yeah. Yeah. Or is, yeah, if it's if it's green flag conditions and there's no yellow, yeah. you can maybe ask your driver to extend the window by one lap. But to ask him to do three, it makes no sense to me. Connor Daly had the same strategy. He was running like a theoretical like seventeenth ish though when they made that call. So it's not like I blame them as much per se. Like they didn't have a whole lot to lose. That 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 entry is starting to give me some head scratching there. But um, Pagano had a what is it a wastegate issue or something along those lines that from the yeah. start. So his straight line speed was trash, which I feel like is the second or third time that's happened to him at Road America. I remember one year he was like third or fourth in the last stint, and then his engine basically went kaput and he dropped like a rock. How about those? All right, let's talk about the first time starters. Yeah, let Cody, me. Cody Ware, Kevin Magnuson. Where do you want to start with them? Yeah, well, let me first remind you of one of our predictions from last week. We'll we'll talk about the rest later. I was going to get yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So the prediction was who finishes higher, and it was between Jimmy, Cody Ware, and Dalton. Dalton, because at the time we recorded, Magnuson was probably announced like six hours after we recorded. Yeah, typical. So 
I said Cody Ware. You said Jimmy? Yeah, I did not say Dalton. We'll yeah, say yeah, fair, fair, fair point. And Cody Ware, who has zero IndyCar experience outside of a test in Sebring in the winter and a test at Road America a couple weeks ago, started dead last, finished 19th, but improved all weekend, put up a respectable, you know, didn't, didn't do anything great, but didn't spin, didn't have any issues, just brought the car home and he finished 19th and his average speed was just about a third of a mile an hour off of the leader. So, you know, he was right there with pretty much the, the five or six guys in front of him speed wise. And obviously he only finished about a second or a little bit under a second behind, Oh, half a second behind Simon Pagano. So yeah, he might, he, he beat some, I'm, I'm, I'm mega impressed. Also super nice dude. Yeah. I think it was a, I'm a, I'm a casual self-critic of myself. And I think there was a good lesson for me this weekend to if there's a Cody Ware that jumps in in the future or someone like that or someone we may not have heard of, like a Michaela Lotion who comes from nowhere, to kind of embrace it and, you know, give them a fair shot and kind of let them do their their PR and their interviews and whatnot to kind of get a feel of where they're at and, and what kind of person they are because – you know, we were doing the press bullpen. I had never seen Cody Ware or what he looks like. I guess I've seen the one picture of him sitting next to Pietro and, like, the yeah. height disparity there. Yeah. But I, I really never heard the guy talk. I've never really seen him race before. I don't really watch NASCAR, and I haven't seen any of his endurance racing highlights. And so he gets to, you know, talking to us, and I'm like, God, this guy's really nice and, and really, you know, genuine and makes a connection with you and makes the effort to like get to know you as a person. And I'm like, I really appreciate that. And then I'm seeing his times in, in the race and whatnot. And like, you know, his first stint was, a, a, let's say rough, but he was, he was falling off the tail end a, a little bit. But other than that, I mean, he didn't really put a whole wheel wrong in the race. He had the one spin in Canada corner. And as in practice, our very famous friend, David lighting, shared a video of he shared a video of him stalling i think twice yeah when the amr safety team responded. but you know what i would do worse wasn't that so, his very first indycar practice at that point too or second practice i think i don't remember which one it was saturday so i think it should have been his second practice i think um so yeah i mean i left the weekend a huge uh, cody fan he actually uh, followed me on Twitter and we sent each other a couple of messages because I was just super appreciative of the, the time he spent talking to us and getting to know us. And uh, yeah, I, I can honestly say I'm a huge Cody Ware fan now and I hope to see him uh, more in more IndyCar races. There is a strong rumor that he should be in IndyCar a couple more times this year, but that is unconfirmed at this moment. But we'll keep our eyes on that you for know what's, you. You know what's crazy? Before we talk about Magnus or anybody else, other than the fact that Cody Ware is like eight feet tall, is he's also twenty five pounds heavier than any other IndyCar driver in the grid, which obviously doesn't help. So I think Ray Hall is two fifteen or two twenty and or two hundred, and they said Cody Ware was two twenty five. So I mean, he was at a disadvantage just by the fact that 
he's heavier than everybody else in a in a series where you have guys like Sato who's 130 pounds. So he's almost 100 pounds heavier than Takuma Sato. Yeah. So I hope uh hope you guys got a chance to listen to our bullpen interviews, but uh, specifically a couple I wanted to highlight was Cody Ware was really awesome. Jimmy Johnson was hilarious. <laughs> and uh, Alex Pillow was probably another one of my favorites just because, again, he said he doesn't trust me. But I will eat that eel dish at some point. I still got to send him a message. I'll believe it when I see it. When I need to try it. I, I did blue cheese. If you haven't checked that out on our YouTube channel, I did finally pay up my bet to eat blue cheese. Um, it may not be what you're expecting, but you should go watch that. Magnuson. What? Okay, so first of all, he on track, he did great. I don't know what I was expecting off the track, but he has a little bit of Grosjean written all over him. A little bit of, wow, I'm happy to be here. Wow, this is amazing. Very approachable, very nice, very easy to talk to. I think I just kind of have the stigma in my head with the F1 crowd that, you know, they're, they're going to be kind of short with their answers and oh, why am I talking to this peasant kind of thing? Like, you know, <laughs> get me out of here. And hey, he did not have that vibe to him at all. So I enjoyed talking to him too. So what did you make of kind of the Magnuson experience this weekend? Yeah, I it was pretty interesting to see that the two areas of the paddock that were the most crowded were Grosjean's uh, truck area and Magnuson and... They are both rookies. Obviously, Magnuson's done more races, but Magnuson, really nice dude, very insightful. I, I appreciated what he had to say, and he had some some good insights on everything, and he's a hell of a driver. Obviously, he led six laps that were very off strategy, and I did find it funny. So somebody, I think it was Bourdais, passed him. It was Bourdais was a lap down. And he was like, oh, I didn't realize that guy was a lap down. I would have just let him go in because he, he flat spotted, I think, his right side tires trying to hold off Bourdais. So, you know, that level of insight just goes to thinking like, okay, this guy is pretty aware of how to race and what's going on. And, yeah, he led six laps very off strategy and was going to have to pit anyway. And But he got off a great restart. Like It wasn't like he had to fend off. Who was behind him at that point? Sato, I think, was the other one who was super off strategy there. So I'm I'm super impressed. I was bummed that I think it was an electrical issue or his engine just shut off, ended his day pretty early. But I think he probably would have finished, I don't know, top 15 maybe, top 17. Yeah, somewhere around there. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed having him in the paddock. I'm kind of confused because we're. I, th- I swear he signed a WEC deal with Peugeot, but everybody's talking as if he's just like grand free agent for IndyCar next year. So yeah, I think Marshall Pruitt said that. So it was on one of his sports car podcasts with the Graham. I forget his last name. Co-host, and they both mentioned how Magnuson had signed in WC next year, but then again, the WC like, race know, calendar is like... some availability, but... I think also, like, WEC is, like, six total races, so, I mean, maybe he can make most of an IndyCar schedule work. I don't know exactly, but... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pu- trying to pull up the WEC schedule right now. 
So there is one, two, three, four, five, six races, and one, two, three, three of them, maybe, uh, yeah, I think that's it, three of them intersect with an IndyCar race this year. So given how the schedule shakes out next year, I could definitely see him coming over here still, even with, even if he is officially in WEC and we just can't find it anywhere. Yeah, it's like the buzz he brings, the buzz Grosjean bring, both both pretty awesome. So that's really cool. I think the only driver I really other wanted to highlight was Oliver Askew, who did a great job of stepping into the Ed Carpenter car for Renus VK, who is fine. He will be back for Mid-Ohio. Uh, he and I talked for about a minute on Friday, and he actually cracked the helmet of his his bicycle helmet. So the fact that he was wearing one is, is fantastic, and the fact that he only had a collarbone injury was kind of a miracle. So thankfully he's okay. He'll be back soon. Uh, they did have the surgery. I think, you know, was this r- right after we – oh, yeah, because you said he had a 60-40 chance of racing. Yeah. Wrong. That was literally, like, within the hour of us getting done recording. By the way, I did find Magnus Magnuson signing with Peugeot WEC 2022. Wrong. I'm, I'm, it's on motorsport.com. No, I'm talking about VK. Oh, yeah, I was wrong. I know. <laughs> I'm over that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so he should be back. But Askew jumped in to the seat, did great. He was on a weird strategy, too, at the end. But he and Pagano and Chilton and Sato did the smart thing, which was get fresh rubber, go full send, and then pit again with everybody else instead of trying an absurd fuel number. Uh, so P12, I don't really think that was an indication of just how strong his day was, though. I think he could have easily sneaked in a top 10 had you know, different circumstances happened. So I hope that is not the last we see of Askew. Did you have any other Road America items you wanted to bring up? Two things. One, crowd-related. Apparently, and I talked to a friend of the show, Team Pit Lane member David Lighting, about this last night during our PS4 F1 race that this was easily the best overall Road America crowd since IndyCar returned. And there were some in the media center who said this rivaled crowds of when IndyCar was there in the 90s or early 2000s, whenever it last was. So really awesome to see everybody turn out in, in such big numbers. And... Driver-wise, again, guys, let's just lay off Jimmy Johnson. He, again, had a solid weekend, one spin, no damage, was able to get it running, got out of the way when he needed to get out of the way. Maybe not the best spin he's had. It was kind of avoidable, but as Jimmy Johnson said, his give-a-shit meter has been gone for a long time, so he doesn't care what you think. I think we should just... Let him race. If he's having fun and enjoying it and enjoying IndyCar, he's bringing new eyes to IndyCar. I love it. Old. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. 
There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix dissecting the the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll catch you after the chequered flag. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. Whatever. That's an let's, old opinion. Yeah, let's talk about no, our actually, predictions. That's a, that's a new. That's a youth. Yeah, opinion. that's a youth's prediction. Uh, youth's. Uh, yeah, when he said give a shit meter, I about cackled. <laughs> uh, I thought that was because yeah, I kind of phrased that question to kind of see if he had a reaction about you know anything he's seen or if he saw Rossi's tweet or that's a really dumb tweet. Yeah, I as far as the spin, yes, he went wide. I honestly did not know that bump was there, though. So if any driver hits that, they're probably Fair. spinning. So I don't care if it's your rookie season or if you're Joseph Newgarden. If you hit that bump in that way, you're probably losing the car. So, yes, he did run wide, which is avoidable. But once he hits that bump, I don't think anybody's saving it. So I don't really give him too much crap for that. I think that was just one of those things. Yeah, I I am leaving the weekend too, just happy that he's here because he's really enjoying himself. And also wanted to mention that sponsors like Carvana and Mission and Views, uh, despite their best efforts, I'm still not on nicotine, but uh, they had really good setups, sponsor activation type deals at Road America, which is really refreshing. So I'd between that and the 800,000 people that watched on NBCSN, which has to be some sort of record. Yeah, I've did you never, s- it's been a long time since I've heard 800,000 people watching an IndyCar race on NBCSN. That's, that's insane. That's insanely good. I do want to talk about how awesome the TV numbers are looking. Well, a little bit of an antiquated thing to look at TV numbers as a whole, but. 807,000 was the average 934,000 total watch. I don't know how you like actually it's yeah. I'm not sure these are real numbers, but yeah, but the most watched IndyCar race on NBCSN or a a cable network since Mid-Ohio in 2016. Sunday's NBCSN third most watched IndyCar race on record behind Mid-Ohio that I just mentioned, and championship race at Sonoma in 2015. I think that was where Dixon won on the tiebreaker, right? 
Yeah, that's where Penske absolutely threw it away because they're a bunch of morons. Yes, correct. And NBC and IndyCar are up 59% versus last year, 38% versus 2019. So just all around everything it's just it's it's just good to see things like that it just it's very refreshing and so much yeah you know, there's so much negativity every time people talk about tv and there's some good numbers to go around and i know that doesn't account for dvr i don't know if it accounts for youtube tv and hulu tv and things like that yet but i just just a happy thought yeah, I think we're approaching blue label territory for Roger, Mark, and Jay, and all them. Yeah, they can start cracking out some of the fancy drinks to celebrate those because that's uh, that's awesome. So, we'll recap our predictions here. <laughs> Good predictions. I had Joseph. I don't care what you say. I'm giving myself that one. And you had Pato P9. Mm. So. I, it was a okay day for Pato. It wasn't good. It wasn't bad. He kept a clean nose and brought her home with some decent I know points. he was frustrated on the radio having to maintain a fuel number. That seemed hard to do. So, yeah, he made the best of it. And that McLaren operation, seeing it at the track and how many employees they have yeah. and how like, <laughs> well-run everything is, is insane. So I do think they – I think lighting is onto something that they're going to be – big three territory also heard a strong rumor that david lighting is going to be on our podcast here soon during the olympic break can't confirm or deny that though <coughs> our bad predictions i had hinch p15 yep you had erickson p6 you almost had it i almost did but alas i did not almost dark horse top 10 i had Bourdais p16 they had some sort of mechanical issue um, wasn't quite expecting the answer I got when I asked him if he plans <laughs> to stay with the team next year. Yeah, yeah. they want me. But yeah. Okay, but what do you want? <laughs> yeah, it was, and again, it was in the Friday afternoon episode, the media bullpen episode I released, and his answer was, I don't want to say off-putting, but definitely a little, little concerning. Yeah, well, and I think he's right. He said some along the lines of, we have goals for ourselves. We just need to achieve those goals. It's like, yep. <laughs> y- yep. Didn't, didn't do it this weekend. That's point. You, you are right. I mean, then the, what is the leader circle situation at? Like uh, 20. Carlin and oh, Carlin what is, versus... What is the actual situation? Carlin and Foyt are on the outside looking in right now, I think, to the number seven and I'll get you I'll get you that list. Get through the predictions and then I will I will go back to that for you. All right, when your Dark Horse top 10 pick was Ryan Hunter Ray at P13. Back to you, Mike. Yikes. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, yeah, I got it. I got it. A bunch here. of content come out. We had Scott McLaughlin interviewed Mike. I was, uh, we had an interview cancel on us. So then I went back to the campgrounds and I uh, shut my eyes for 20 minutes. And I woke up to three texts from Mike saying, Hey, I got McLaughlin. I'm like, oh, <laughs> damn it. I missed that. We had Benjamin Patterson of the Indy Light Series with the Global Group HMD. It was really nice to meet him. He's a, a good kid who should be uh, on the Indy Light scenes for hopefully a couple of years so he can uh, work out his career and hopefully move to IndyCar or whatever his next steps may be. And then Toby Sowery, who we have been fans of for a long time on this podcast and my first time meeting him in person and did a good interview on the record and then got some good talks off the record, which were both really awesome. Seems like a really genuine dude. 
Got to ask him about William Story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something I was really wanting to ask him because that's how I think that's how your rich energy, I don't know what you call it, saga began was yes. through Toby Sowery. Yes. Yes. Back in Toronto of 2019, I saw this rich energy cooler outside of somebody's truck. And it was Toby. Yeah, Toby's a good a, a good dude, a uh, friend of mine, and and I hope he hope he succeeds. Whether it's Indy Lights or Indy Car or, or wherever he he works out, I think he's a hell of a driver. So leader circle on the bottom end of things is so twenty two and higher get the leader circle bonus. I'll start a little bit above the cut line. Twentieth is the Dale Coin eighteen car at one hundred and twenty points. 21st is the Andretti 29 car at 118 points. 22nd, and the cutoff is the McLaren 7 car at 99 points. 23rd is the Foyt 4 car with 86 points. And 24th is Carlin, the 59 car with 80 points. Now, I I cut out, like, Elio, who got 103 points at the 500 for double points. Not worth putting him in there. And there's a few other... You know Santino and and whatnot that I I didn't see the need to include because they're not going to be in this discussion at the end of the year anyway. But yeah, it's it's going to be tight. I don't I I don't see one of I can I can see Foyt kind of pushing Kellett aside like they did last year at the end of the year just to rescue some points. But I think the Carlin I think Carlin's in big trouble. I don't. And I know it's ironic to say that after Max Chilton had his best race in four years and had, did a very good job, but missing that race in the Indy GP in May is really going to hurt them in, in, in more ways than we can probably ever actually say. Yeah, it is definitely. I think it's an interesting thing to follow. It's kind of like a Premier League season where you're watching the top, but you're also watching the bottom of the league to see what's going on in, the, in this I mean, yeah, we can go ahead and pencil the number four in there. So it's really down to who finishes 23rd. And, you know, Rosenquist has had a couple good races. He's had a couple of bad races, though, but I think the seven should be just fine. Yeah. I think it can, it's going to kind of come down to well, who would have thunk the 51 would be so high. So that's <laughs> awesome. But, um, yeah, I think it's going to come down to, like, Hinch and Connor and... Uh, yeah, I don't know who else it would be. Yeah, no idea. What? You, so at this point, we said Ed Carpenter racing would be one of the worst teams. Now, granted, VK is still sixth in the championship after, even after missing a race. So good for him. Hopefully, he's he's back in in just a little less than two weeks from Mid Ohio. But the twenty car, outside of Ed's run at Indy, where he finished in the top 10. I forget exactly where at this point. I feel like Indy was like six months ago. Is what, what is it? Is it, is it Connor? Is it the car? And I'm going to, I have a part two to this question when you're, when you're done. If you ask Connor, Connor says it's the car, which is not the best answer to give the driver. If you're a driver, but it's also an answer that would explain things. Yeah. Because he is saying, he kind of alluded to this, I think, in the interview. He said he can't figure out the steering to the car, whereas his teammates have. 
And I mean, obviously VK doing super good is a little damning to Connor. VK constantly qualifying well and not not struggling to qualify where Connor has a couple times is damning to Connor. Askew jumping in and immediately going faster than Connor is damning to Connor. And it's I don't think it's unfair speculation to kind of sit back and go, what's going on here? But Connor has proven over and over again that he can jump into just about any entry and make it go faster than it should. So it's not like we don't have a track record of him doing good across the board at most cars he jumps into. So that's where I would say it's probably a 50-50. Like maybe Connor's driving style is not suited to this year's car for whatever reason, and maybe the team are doing the best to provide the tools they need to have Connor do well. But before you jump in, if you have two cars and one of them is doing really great and one of them is not doing so great, I wouldn't want to mess it up for the guy who's doing great just to maybe since the guy's averaging a top five finish, well, maybe we should fix the car so he can get 10th and Connor can get 10th and then we can both be averaged together. Like, I think they need to stick with what they're doing and I don't know, figure it out in the offseason if that means Connor needs to take his talents elsewhere to a team that can better suit his needs or whatnot. I don't know. Something we'll have to keep our eyes on, though. Yeah. And I think we'll have to save the silly season discussion for later because I think there could be plenty of moving parts. But yeah, and no, I agree. And and kind of touching on that and reminds me of something Cody Ware said to me right before the race, I think it was, and that he had talked to Grosjean after qualifying and their setups were somewhat similar and he went to a setup that was not quite what Grosjean had, but much more similar than it was for qualifying. And after the race had mentioned to me that it definitely helped. So even if maybe Daly's driving style isn't the same as VK, but maybe he should try a setup that's much more similar and, and work from there because what, what that car is doing right now is is just not not good. No. So, I don't know if we have anything else we want to talk about before we... There's a couple headlines we can discuss uh, that happened this week. The no, first is that yeah, Long, let's go Beach, to Long Beach is all good. Good Yay. to go. Full capacity. Mike won't be there, though. No. That is literally the only race the rest of the year I won't be at. So that's sad. And then there is going to be no Toronto substitute, which we kind of speculated to uh, not too long ago because there was just no announcement. So it was likely going to be mid-Ohio if there was one, but nope. So it's a 16-race championship this year. Yeah, it's funny. This this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I heard three, two or three different doubleheader weekends were going to happen this year in replacement for Toronto. And in the media center afterwards, I overheard people kind of assuming it was just going to be a 16-race season. So I heard everything this weekend, which led me to believe that most likely the case would be 16 races if everybody was saying something different like that. But it is – the do we know – is Long Beach is the last race of the year, right? Correct. You're missing the finale. Can you believe that? I know. I know. Well, you, you, can, you can blame my wife's – Best friend from high school nope. for deciding that nope. we can get married. Nope. Oh, I thought, you were, I thought you were about to say you can blame my wife. Like, nope, that's not an argument we're going to win. No, no, I would not do that. <laughs> I was, 
But yes, I think uh, before we start to wrap things up, thanks to IndyCar and Road America for their accommodations this weekend for letting us get to do what we uh, really love doing on race weekends, which is covering it for y'all and, and making content and getting a chance to, for me, meet some of my heroes and, and talk to them because getting the amount of access that we do, I to me, I still don't believe it. You know, like when we got to the bullpen and they just kind of like hand fed us 12 drivers to talk to, I, I couldn't believe it. That That's to me, I'll, I'll never th- not think that that's incredibly cool. Yeah, IndyCar so. and everybody who set everything up this weekend did a phenomenal job getting us access and interviews and as did Road America, they were very accommodating and all in all, it was a great weekend. If there's people that you want to hear interviewed or things you want to see, Obviously, I'm on the road the rest of the year, with the exception, like we just said, of Long Beach. I will take any suggestions. I think probably a bunch of listeners will also be at Mid-Ohio. Maybe Saturday after qualifying, I'll try to do some sort of fan meetup somewhere. Maybe where the uh, styled aesthetic tent typically is over in the fan area. So I'll, I'll figure that out and talk about it next week before before i head out to before i drive out to ohio but it was a, a great weekend indycar was super helpful and i couldn't be more thankful to just be back at the track and run around all weekend i know it looks like i'm running around with like a chicken with my head cut off because i'm always trying to run somewhere to do something but i really do enjoy just running around all weekend at the track it's very rewarding to be that busy yeah, and at the end of the day, I think the I think one thing that makes this podcast a little special is that at the end of the day, we're both just fans. You know, we're you know in it for the same reasons that most fans are in it, which is just to enjoy the experience, to have the passion of watching IndyCar, which is it's been such a good season so far. Um, it really is going to go down as one of those great seasons that we're going to look back on. So to have the access that any car allows us to have is is awesome and you know i have to pinch myself a lot of times and to have the support of this podcast from all you great listeners is it means a lot to to both of us so we really appreciate that i got nothing else so guys there's f1 this weekend mid-ohio next weekend if you're going to be at mid-ohio start let me know and i will try to coordinate that fan meetup as early as possible and maybe i'll make some sort of post and put it on social media next week. But I hope you enjoyed all the interviews. There was, I think, five different posts throughout the weekend on the podcast feed, so check them out. If you're a Team Pit Lane member, you also got three or four bonus episodes this weekend. So check those out as well, and thank you for subscribing, and thank you for listening. And ladies and gentlemen, have a lovely weekend of racing. Today's podcast was presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. If you're a podcaster, you can apply too immediately and get connected with advertisers that fit your audience. Go to podgo.co at podgo.co and let them know that we sent you there. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. 
You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.